I'm just so excited because last night I played the fourth around the table campaign with my group of uh, players and uh, we're playing the movie era, which is of course one of your your favorite eras. I know that just because the uniforms and all that, but um, I, it's the first time in Star Trek gaming where there was a mutiny. There was actually a mutiny, and I'm not the kind who approves mutinies yeah. <laughs> generally, but um, mind blowing good acting from uh, the five other players, three of which have never watched. Well, they only watched Star Trek once they started playing with me. Uh-huh. Nice. Yeah. So what a good feeling. Have you ever had a mutiny happen on one of your uh, games? Um, indirectly. Yeah. Way back, way back when in the, in the, in the, in the before times before, uh, before last year go on games, like before Decipher, before everything, uh, we ran a homebrew and uh, one of the care, one of the players, didn't want to play a Starfleet officer, so he played a civilian diplomat who was on who was on board the ship. We had a Galaxy class ship, so you know it was like the, the Enterprise D, and uh, we were we were primarily focused on like discovery and first contact missions. And uh, so, as a as a civilian diplomat representing the United Federation of Planets, he he had his own particular, um you know, goals and, and they weren't always in line with the captain's goals. And of course I was playing the captain. Uh, so, so, so he and I often butted heads on, on how to approach certain situations. And I think there was, there was one particular first contact situation that came up where he was vehemently against uh, um, what was going on. And he, like during the course of the session, the player actively campaigned the other players to try to like be against the captain and against the rest of the crew and whatever. And, uh, it got heated, right? But I mean, it was all still in character and still a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, I think he ended up in the brig. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's what, I mean, I, I yeah. actually could not have guessed the scenario. So we were playing, yeah. beware y'all, spoil alert, Christopher Bennett's stolen li liberty. So you may want to la 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 for two minutes. But mm -hmm. it's a prime directive type story also. And the captain who's been playing the captain, again, a new player to Star Trek has it was mentored by Captain Kirk. And so it has this cowboy diplomacy about themselves. Whereas the first, uh, the helmsman and, and the navigator are very Starfleet protocol heavy. So I actually built the, the module around making the captain have to make a decision when, like, do you go with Starfleet? Do you give up your cowboy diplomacy? And sometimes do you just follow the rules? Because how wow. I twisted it was that several of the crew members who've been playing along under his leadership defied orders following how he usually does business. Mm. Talking about the responsibility and weight of the captaincy. So there actually came a moment where they were all standing around the table, pointing phasers at each other, taking <laughs> sides. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and it was wow. tense. And then we rolled initiative. And yeah. then they each took a turn. Some people went running and some people went dodging behind stuff. And then other people sh started shooting. And wow. it was just honestly, I have to say, around the table for Star Trek, it was the most exciting night. We were all panting after. It, it took about an hour to calm down. It was so great. <laughs> mm. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. That so. Fun. 
Yeah, so here we are continuing the conversation, right, about Star Trek Adventures. I'm Michael Dismuke. I am a blogger on Continuing Mission, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures RPG and also a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures RPG. And of course, I'm always so pleased to introduce Jim Johnson. Hey, everybody. I'm Jim Johnson. I'm the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG published by Modifius Entertainment. Oh, lo, these many years now, seven, seven years strong. We're uh, we're just about at the point now. I think I'd have to do the math. We're just about starting to outpace uh, next gen DS9 and Voyager in terms of length of stay in the world. Very nice. Uh, of course, you know, you know, next gen had some movies, right? So we got to overcome that. But at least DS9 and Voyager both made it seven years. Um, although I guess there's some renewed life, right? Because Janeway's come back into uh, Prodigy, and um, and of course, uh, you know, your your girl. Seven is uh, is back and alive and well in Picard, and who knows what the future holds for her, right? Like, uh, like I, I see the Twitter conversations about, oh, we let's let's campaign for a for a Titan series after this or whatever, and I'm like, yeah, I'm okay with that. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm all on board, but like this this season's not over yet, right? Right. Episodes we're four episodes in, five episodes in, whatever. We're not even halfway through yet, and we don't know what's going to happen. Like they've been surprising us a little bit these last couple episodes. Maybe hold on, (laughs) because I don't think they're going to go back and do any reshoots at this point. So I think uh, you know who knows what might happen to the Titan in the end here. Like I I suspect it will probably live on to do great, awesome things. But uh, there's just that chance, right, that they might they might Sean Seven and the Titan go out in a blaze of glory. I feel like. Yeah, I feel like what's happening is Paramount's kind of testing the waters and seeing who the torches are going to be passed to. I say torches because there's certain characters who are rising to the top. um, And we don't know what the next generation is going to. This is the next next generation. So um, to me, I love it. I I think it also today, you know, we're going to. I mean, I, I'm deciding on what we want to talk about today, honestly, because we were supposed to record about motivating the bad guys. But now you're talking about all these shows and these characters. And I've been wanting for a while to talk about, um, you know, how as we watch the show, how we could be using this in our games and stuff like that. But we have some good bad guys in these shows. So talking about what motivates a good bad guy uh, or girl or person uh, or entity is, is, I think, a really good conversation to have. Because um, yeah. we got some doozies in this show. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think uh, I think let's stick with that. And uh, you know, as is our want, uh, you know, just add that other one to the list. Mm-hmm. Our, our never-ending list of topics to talk about shows for, right? Like, so there's always something that percolates up that says, "Oh, that should be a topic for an episode or whatever." And yeah. that's, that's how we've managed to be, you know, seventy episodes into this, and we're still going. And the uh, like the big products for 2023 haven't even come out yet. <laughs> they haven't even been I announced. Much less come out yet. And like when they when they do start announced being announced and start coming out, like that that'll give us another 30 or 40 episodes worth of Easily. content to to dig into. So uh, we're 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 in good shape here, I think. Yeah, I think I think tonight's a fun topic. One because I real I'll say what. Um, there's not a good story out there that doesn't have a great villain. The villain makes the story in so many epic uh, uh, adventures that we know all the way going back to the Bible. <laughs> you know, without the villain, you ain't got the story. And right. and, and uh, all the way through some of our greatest movies and plays and comics, it's the villain. Stan Lee, I remember he, his viewpoint I really liked. He says, there are no villains. There's only fallen heroes. 
Eric? What do you think about that statement before we start talking about how to construct a great dad guy? For you I, I think I think that's absolutely fair. I think even before the Bible, there's there's plenty of stories in historical literature about uh, adversaries and antagonists who uh, weren't the traditional villain, but they were antag the antagonist to the hero of the story, right? So um, the the antagonists, like the best antagonists, are the heroes of their own story, right? You're just seeing it from the other perspective because there's another hero that is supposed to be more sympathetic and more interesting. But I, th I mean, yeah, there's there's legions of stories out there where the villains are actually more interesting to look at than the hero, right? I mean, it's just it's, it's the nature of the beast. Like everybody loves the bad guy, right? right. It's, just, it's just how it works. Like, uh, you know, of course, you know, like we, I think of like uh, uh, Die Hard, right? Like uh, Bruce Willis's character. Good, good, solid hero. It does everything you expect a hero to do, mm -hmm. but it's Hans Gruber that you're really into because, like uh, that, that was that was the character to watch in that in that in that movie. And you see yeah. that you, know, you see that everywhere, right? I mean, it's the the villains. Like you know, Luke is a perfectly perfectly good hero on the hero's journey. Joseph Campbell, all that classic stuff. But Darth Vader gets the badass entrance. He's got exactly. The he's got the look. He's got the feel. He's got the the minions and armor all around him. He's got that just that huge presence, right? And I think that's something mm -hmm. that makes a really good villain is that they've got presence. And in yeah. the case of a, a television drama or a movie drama, they have they have screen presence, they have you know stage presence, screen presence, whatever. Whether it's the actor or the voice or the the costume or whatever, you know. Um, One of my biggest villains yeah. that I think about when I think about villains in a story is Danny Glover's character in Color Purple. Yeah. That I, I remember the reason I liked him as an actor was because after that movie, I hated him so much. <laughs> and and I know, yeah. it's not, and I actually saw yeah. him once at a public event. We were at a Prince concert in San Francisco and I saw him and I cringed, but then I, mm. I comported myself and I waved and gave him the head nod. But I was like, what a great actor in order to embody a villain to such level yeah. that that's what sticks out in my movie more than Whoopi Goldberg's character. You know, in that. So, so, and, and I know I made some early mistakes when I started creating villains or playing villains in RPG over 30 years ago, where so many just came out as demolishers or bank robbers because I was young. You know, you don't know literature that much. You haven't studied what creates a good um, antagonist. Um, but as time progressed, I started finding out that like what Stanley said is villains have pretty good motivation mm -hmm. oftentimes they, and they have a solid motivation to do what they're doing. I think about, you know, even if it's somebody like Joker in, in, in the movie, you know, he has a mysterious past, you know, something messed him up at some point, but he's just a chaos being. So you know how to play him because he is a chaos being. Um, and, I, I would advise game masters when you're creating an antagonist in your story, whether it's an ambassador visiting, whether it's a Klingon, if it's the Borg, if you dare to play them, you don't need to have a convoluted story for motivation. Sometimes one powerful value that they're going to drive to no matter what can really create when, when they're just tenacious about achieving their goal, that really can just explode into a whole flower of ideas. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I think I think by, by and large, I would agree. I, I think me personally, I think I'd be careful not to give them just one good value because because you don't want to necessarily. I mean, I guess it depends on your story and, and what you're trying to accomplish. Like, I, I've never been a fan of the one note villains that are like, you know, I'm evil and angry because of this. And like, I'm, I'm hitting the trope and I'm hitting the, the stereotype and like, that's all I am. 
right? Like, you know, everybody is multifaceted, even the the kindest person or the most evil person. There there are levels to them, right? There's right. always something else going on. And um, I, I think it would be, you know, and this is, we talked about this ad infinitum, but uh, it'd be a combination of a couple of really strong values and then some really interesting focuses to kind of blend, blend it together and really get it, that character to see mm -hmm. what's going on with them. Well, so let's talk about some, couple. yeah, let's use some examples though. Like in Star Trek Khan, I just, I just had the pledge, pleasure of finishing a view from the bridge by mm -hmm. Nicholas Meyer. A great mm -hmm. book, by the way, if anybody wants to understand screenplays and kind of how Hollywood works. And of course he was the screenplay for uh, Wrath of Khan, for Voyage Home and for Undiscovered Country, um, which are my top three movies, if you were to ask me, my top three uh, movie or movies. And if you take a look at Khan, his motivation was revenge. And in the end, the revenge was because of the death of his wife and he was so in love and and then to be stranded and then see he come you know coming back to connecting with starfleet he finds out that his nemesis who stranded him in the planet is now an admiral this weak man is now an admiral who's living the glory and how i mean khan was just like no unacceptable in my wor world where i'm a superior being like this is just injustice in his mind it was injustice to a fault um and i just thought that that's such a simply again simply well-designed character mm -hmm. yeah and uh, the interesting thing about khan i think is uh he wasn't just a one-off villain, right? They did tie him back to an episode of uh, the original series. And so he was a recurring character, but was also you know, able to be made even bigger than life than he was in the TV show, because now he's on the big screen. And of course, you know, Ricardo Montalban with the with the pecs and the costume <laughs> and, the, and the broken medallion. It was just, it was just like that perfect blend of look and feel and everything. Um, so yeah, I, I think Khan's a great example of a character that, um, like that movie is really built on the characters, right? And and that's what that's what's so good about Star Trek and and what you could do with Star Trek Adventures is you can have those those character relationships over a long span of time. Like I mean, if you are so fortunate as to as to play as if you are so fortunate as to play in the Star Trek Adventures campaign long enough that your characters develop this this connection with the villain and the villain comes back or you know not villain but adversary. Mm -hmm. um, to, to do that long arc where where you know kirk you know rescues khan and then they they send him off to a planet and then they forget about him and they go off and do their adventures and then at some point the game master brings them back and says oh hey remember that planet you dumped those people on well something happened and now they're coming back for vengeance <laughs> yeah it's, it's classic right and it's so good when you can make those connections and you don't have to do it for you know you don't have to wait 30 years to do it right you could you know it's, it's star trek it's time travel you could you could send them off on their way and Oh look, they got they got thrown into a wormhole, and then they come back, you know, yeah. two years later. But it's been a thousand years for them, or something like that. And now that their descendants are coming after you, like I don't know. You can well, to it. your point, no, to your to your point, I think that oftentimes game masters might make the mistake of in their mind building up this villain and thinking that one episode is enough to contain them but if you think about the greatest villains of star trek whether it's lore i'll even call call nunyan singh uh, i'm not uh sorry soon dr soon is kind of a villain who showed up in different generations it's it's a thematic villain and then you have moriarty <laughs> right you have yeah. Mori or the borg queen like yeah. these are ones that showed up in multiple there's a build to them gorkon they show up here a little bit but really it's those 
single instances that I think builds the character in my game. I know we have two to three major um, characters, antagonists, who no matter what happens, the crew in the back of their head are always like, is this Dr. Salomon Magic? Oh, is this Mithra making their return? And I like that because it's just the foreboding that sometimes just creates the villain too. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, um, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll go back to DS9. Right? DS9's got some great examples, right? You got uh, you got Gold Ducat and you got Kai Wen and you got Wei Yun and and, the, and I guess the female changeling. Although I think I think Ducat and Wen, uh, I mean even Wei Yun are, are more interesting to me than the female changeling. I think um, so. But but those characters, like if you, it, it's always it's always surprising to me when I'm doing research for the game and we're writing these characters up. To, like and I wanted to go watch all the episodes that they were in and like when like Kai Wynn was only in like like 12 or 14 episodes or something like that and you think gosh DS9 was like 170 something episodes mm-hmm. and she was only in a very small percentage of them but she had such an impact in every one of those episodes that you feel like she's been there forever and like right. she's one of those characters like the moment she's on screen you hate her like exactly you know, like the moment you know oh, she's gonna do something she's gonna do something heinous to our to our beloved characters even though she's totally in the right in her own mind, because she's the hero of her story, and everything that she does makes sense to her, and like from a certain point of view, it, it all it's all logical. But because it's at diametrical opposite what our what our heroes want, then it, that's where the great tension comes in. And of course, Ducat is a great villain. Uh, Wei Yun is a great villain, and of course, the female changeling too. But I think the female changeling, I don't think, was enough. There, there wasn't enough depth to her, I think, to to really yeah. be multifaceted, like Ducat. I mean, Ducat was probably the the, the most in depth adversary we've had on trek for a while i think yeah again we grow to like them and that's what's hard is because i there comes a point where i felt sorry for ducat and the system that produced him the death of his daughter sorry spoiler alert um but again i think when i'm writing a villain or a bad guy or an antagonist whatever we're going to call the adversary Mm -hmm. there's creative ways to let them win without without shattering your players so it could be politics diplomacy kai win won a lot oh that's weird win won. <laughs> um, and, and she 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 won a lot um which frustrated the characters they didn't lose anything except maybe face or a little bit of power and authority but uh, finding creative ways to let the villains win it could be i know sometimes when i design a character the adversary is essential to their succeeding in their mission, but they're going to have to give a little in order to succeed. And I know it irritates them, but they're always like, we have to work with this person. And I think that's the most beautiful moment when they, when they admire the person's intelligence, skills, power, resources, but at the same time, they're like, oh, we, it's just, we feel so dirty doing this. Um, and that, <laughs> and, and, and it's a, again, Dr. Salomon magic is probably our number one. She's a Cardassian hologram. And she and she is integral and linked to the chief engineer, um, where his survival kind of depends on her, his future survival. Um, and so they're but she's brilliant. And they and they're sometimes let's go activate the program. And she's very arrogant. And she she lives in her holographic castle with Bajoran servants. Oh my gosh. She's of that era. And so it's just an irritant to everybody, but they cannot deactivate her program. Um, and again, if you can create something like that. An adversary that they have to work with—that's a beautiful villain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, those 
those kind of recurring characters are just great to go back to every now and then and, and drop them back into because the players like they come to enjoy it right they may hate the character but they love the interplay and the relationship and stuff um so yeah i, I mean absolutely if you are fortunate enough to be running a game or playing in a game that that develops legs like that and and you don't end up with like dropouts and and then the game kind of collapses or you know life rolls happen and and you have to end the game or whatever like if you're able to get some continuity going and start stringing you know episode after episode and you can start building those relationships I think that's where the real power of uh, of serialized storytelling comes in. I mean, whether it's Star Trek or another game, but we're talking about Star Trek here, right? So yeah, and I think that's I think that's the real power of Star Trek is like being able to start building that long narrative of stuff that you can start dropping in these recurring characters. Right now, at the same time, you know, some people may be listening to this and be like, "Well, I'm not really going to have a recurring character because we're on the furthest edges of space. We're going to be more like Voyager, where we have a new villain of the week. And there is a way to do that, too. Um, I think about um, uh, the, say, a characters that I've built or, or say a Ferengi shows up, right? The Ferengi can't be as simple as I want Latinum. There's a reason they're placed in that story as an antagonist, meaning that it's not necessary in Star Trek, of course, to kill your adversary. It's not a hack and slash and game. It's good to frame your players that their goal is merely to find out what this person wants and then defy that strategy. Defy because at this point, you know, if you ruin the person, the, the adversary's goal, they're not going to just start firing phasers at point. I know there was one case where we had an assassin in our game who was trying to assassinate um, a dignitary, but the assassin had motivation. They were doing it for pay. The minute they're caught and and someone will pay them to divulge information about who was really who hired them, they're money motivated. So it doesn't have to become a shootout is my point. So even if you have a single adversary, I think it's important for game masters to flesh out what will make this person tick? At what point will they break? Um, are they really into violence or are they just into intimidation? Two different things, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, treat treat your villains like uh, like you would treat your player characters, right? Because like the player characters are there. They're trying to accomplish their goals. The villain gets in the way and then the players have to figure out, okay, now how do I get around this? How do I, how do I work through this? So have the same philosophy with your villains, right? The villains are trying to accomplish their own things. And it's the player characters getting in their way. So if the player characters foil them at some point, then the, then you have to think, okay, what's the villain going to do now? What's the next logical thing that they would do? If the okay, the crew's defeated me on this thing, well, I'm going to go do this, and then the characters have to go, you know, deal with that. So it, there's like two stories going on at the same time, right? It's the villain story and the hero story, or the characters, you know, main character story. Um, yeah. And they're constantly going back and forth, and uh, like to make a really good rich villain, I think you 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 treat the villain like they're like a hero. And and uh, and treat the player characters like the villain, and like and, and go back and forth that way, and just see what happens. Yeah, I, I think again, each villain is a potential underworld contact that could also show up later too. You know, if it yeah. ends in a way, it's kind of like, oh man, we and we've seen that in Star Trek before. It's like, oh, we got to hit the bar, and we know what motivates this person. Toss some latinum down, toss whatever, give them some information. But to me, when you create the richness of that adversary like that, that they're not just so um, uh, myopic or just so 
surface, their motivation, but they have a life, they have family. Where do they live? Why are they doing this? Where does the money go when they make it? What investments do they have? Who else do they work with? Could they potentially be your in into the Romulan empire, the Klingon yeah. empire, because they're dirty dealing on both sides. So yeah. kind of sketch that out. And then when your characters are interacting with them and you're playing the, the adversary, have that in the back of your mind. They have a price, maybe they have motivation, um, maybe finding out they have a child. And that's why they do it is to protect their child who's in, you know, uh, being raised by the Organa family. <laughs> just just as an example is is some really cool ways to create a deep adversary that you actually love, that you actually like. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, if, if you want to play it that way, you can like I, I always love the story. I mean, I know it's kind of. Uh, I don't know if it's a cliche anymore, it might it might be a cliche now, but uh I always love the idea that you know when you have a long narrative, you got the players, or you get you got the main, you got the hero characters and the adversaries, and they're always butting heads. But then there's a there's a there's those occasional stories where they have to work together to solve a problem, right? They're they're strange bedfellows or enemy of my enemy is my friend, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm actually I I feel uh, I need to turn in my card because I can't remember the name of the episode. There's an episode of DS9 where uh, Ducat is on the station when the uh, station computers sabotage the station it's like a bajoran you mm-hmm. know deep, deep uh, terrorist program implanted and uh, and then everybody's stuck right they're, they're all stuck on the station trying to figure out how to fix it before they all get killed yeah. and uh, and ducat has to work with them you know they you know they all have to work together to, to solve the problem and uh, I, I suspect that's probably a cliche now but i, I just i just love that kind of storyline where <laughs> like you're you're going you're having a scene and you're 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 head to head with the villain and then just as something is about to happen, oh, a disaster strikes, and now you're forced to work together with this person who's mm-hmm. you know, still got their own motives and goals, but they're also trying to survive just like you. And I think it's beautiful. Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, it's just, I mean, they did that with Quark, and yeah, they did that with Quark and Garrick so much yeah. that yeah. that it that while you're working with Quark or Garrick as a character, you're wondering if they did this on purpose, were they the saboteur behind it? Are they going to stab you? Are you playing into their hands? I actually think being able to write a story like that, where again, you're watching your back and at the end, if you shake hands or if you do get dogged by them, it's kind of like a lesson learned. We knew it going in. I think getting my players to get their, let their guard down is one of my best, my favorite things, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. What, what's fun too of course now because we're talking about specifically star trek right uh, although you could probably do this in other franchises is that when, when you have scenes like that you know depending on where you're on the timeline you know you, you could also have another layer there like you know you could do a little gotcha at the end like not only was the adversary and the hero working having to work together and then they're resolved but they still button heads but you could have that little extra twist that one of them one of them is actually a changeling and you get that whole extra layer of stuff <laughs> going on like oh wait a minute and then you have to think back, like that whole episode, like, was that all staged? Was that oh, all? Yeah. Like, there's another whole layer to that. And I mean, you could go further with it, but it, it, it could be Q snapping his fingers and, uh, and well, it all arc. Yeah. Well, I think also planning intimate moments with the adversary shouldn't always be explosions and running and chases and ship battles. I mean, I do want to, as a, as a side note, because it hit me as an epiphany while I was listening to the book by Nicholas Meyer. Kirk and Khan never met in the entire movie. They only saw each other on view screens, which I was like, oh, I was like, that was brilliant. But going back to what I was saying before about intimate moments, if you can write in scenes, and I think about the time when Ducat was with um, 
hiking with Kira and he sat on something sharp and there was, they had this humorous, intimate moment, these enemies, this, you know, who had been fighting for decades. Um, if, and I've done that in my game where we have these intimate moments with the adversaries um, and it just changes the players, how they view them. It humanizes them in a sense that you don't really want to defeat the villain. You want to redeem the villain. And they have conversations with these people. I think about our captain, who's a Romulan captain and had an arc enemy uh, who who was um, a a commander in the in the Romulan Star Empire. And they had an intimate moment once on a bridge where they weren't sure if they were hallucinating or not the main character. But it was actually the real character. Um, And he drifts into the fog. He goes into the fog. And then later, when they really do meet, the character was like, well, was that a dream or did we have this moment together and so ever since then i've been trying to tie in slow stuff down where there's some sort of intimate moment where they're not fighting and they get to have actually a conversation with the character mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i, I absolutely I, I think uh you're you're right like your your villains and your your encounters with them doesn't always have to be fisticuffs or shoot them ups or uh you know um eating up the scenery on this on the bridge yelling at each other mm-hmm. across the 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 comm screen or whatever like you can you can have um you can have your villains do all kinds of things very quiet and in fact in fact it's the quiet scenes that are the scariest sometimes because then you're really getting a sense of like how are they thinking and what are they doing what is their motivation and uh like one example that i was just uh, that came to mind while you were talking was um uh breaking bad there's an episode of breaking bad where walter white is is um in a situation and uh he he's watching someone who is uh you know suffering from a drug overdose they're choking on their own on their own vomit and are dying mm-hmm. and he is in a position where he could very easily save them uh but you can see the gears turning and he's he's projecting far ahead he's like okay if if what what are the possibilities here right and 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 he lets the character die and uh it's like whoa okay so i mean <laughs> Clearly, there's stuff going on here, and you're like, "Oh man!" Like you empathize with the guy, but at the same time, he's like, "Oh, he's pretty heinous." And uh, it's a, it, I mean, it's a very quiet moment. It's a very quiet scene, right? He's just literally just sitting there watching it happen, and you can see the. I mean, the actor is so good; it, it, you can see him thinking, thinking like you, you can see the gears turning, right? He's like yeah. planning out his his chess moves, and uh, you know, for for his purposes, that character needed to die, and sure enough, died, and then you know, things progressed. But that's. That's just that's I mean it's great writing, but it's also yeah. a, a really powerful character moment uh, that you can absolutely do in Star Trek if you wanted to go that way, and if your players are okay with it too. I mean, certainly check with your players, check in with your players <laughs> before yeah. you do that because obviously not everyone is here for that. So uh, yeah, maybe 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 we need to make it less motivating the bad guy. I think maybe the title I had I, I spoke about at the beginning is wrong. I think it's more about making your adversaries come alive. I think that I would entitle yeah. that because so often in star trek you come across first contact situations and i know in my game i purposely designed the aliens to not think like humans i'm going to try to find a different thing that motivates this species and a different experience they've had in how they've grown and adapted to the universe that they don't understand humans and so i i've enjoyed it immensely watching my players when something appears like a first contact gone wrong or there's a miscommunication they start self-examining like well are we making a assumptions do they even view verbal communication as rude did we check that or if they're a whole different kind of life form well what animal do they communicate like the most are they doing light you know, and, or, and 
do they view us as organic beings sentient? Are they even aware that they're sentient organic beings? They're coming from another universe. So, so again, sometimes new players will view a first contact situation. If all of a sudden they're under attack, they're automatically going to view it like this is a bad guy. Mm. What are the motivations of these adversaries in Star Trek? You got to think, peel back the layers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And we see that in so many shows where things are misunderstood on that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, mis- mis- misunderstandings happen. I think uh, Enterprise is a good example of that, right? There's, there were a lot of situations where they were just kind of like uh, stumbling in the dark, right? Learning learning how things worked. And uh, plenty of times they had mistaken identities or misunderstandings. And it's like, oh, we didn't know that's how that worked out here. <laughs> Sorry. We're just, we're still learning. We're the, yeah. the noobs on the scene, right? We're, we're trying to figure it out. So uh, there's a lot of ways you can play with that. Yeah, you had mentioned two values. And I think now that you mentioned it, I do want to expand on why values are so important, especially for the adversary. I know I draw on the values to make statements and to remind me of what their argument is in life, like what their viewpoint is. And I've really enjoyed the modules. And again, you can't get this in the mission briefs because there's not enough room for it, where the modules let you expound on is a lot of bullet points about what the thinking is behind the adversaries. I know I wrote eight layers deep and one of the characters in there, the antagonist is is a rogue captain slash scientist um, who, who is, uh, illegally, I'm not going to give any more spoils actually. So, 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 but I did, I bullet pointed his arguments throughout like, you know, probably seven bullet points of his history, what brought him to where his, he is, why he was doing what he was doing, what his motivation was. And that really helped me because then I could refer to that whenever the characters were talking to me, I could read the value, make his statement, or I could even look at that explanation. So as advice for those of you having adversaries, um, take some time, build some good values, the statements they live by, say them out loud to the players in conversation, because not every adversary sounds alike they all have different reasonings. Um, so doing notes like that is a really helpful tool that I use. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, yeah. I, I've always, I've always agreed with Nathan that, uh, you know, the dialogue that this character is, that they're, they're, they're telling you who they are, right? Mm-hmm. Listen, listen to them, you know, use, you put, put three or four good values down and, and I love your idea. Yeah. Use that stuff as dialogue in your episode or in your, yeah. in your scenario or whatever, just to make sure that they, that they vocalize what they believe and what they feel. Cause that'll give the players a real clear understanding of what that character is about if, if yeah. their actions don't already you know if their actions don't cover it um and of course we've seen that plenty of times right you, you see you see a uh the, the guest star doing something desperate or unusual and you're like what, what what's that that's clearly evil but then you you do the the star trek thing and you try to dig a little deeper like uh, i think picard's probably the best example not the series but the character picard always really seemed to try to dive deeper into trying to understand what the this other character was doing and i wouldn't call dathan an enemy but like there was a moment during um uh uh the episode with the um that was a dathan i think it was called oh, shit that's the second episode i get just drew, drew a blank on man uh he the 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 tamarian he and the one who speaks in metaphors yeah, tanagra yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so initially the first uh. first couple acts of that episode picard thought this guy was an adversary and what it, but he took he made the effort to try to learn and try to understand and then he figured it out um 
I mean, there's plenty of examples. Uh, yeah, I would suggest new g- yeah. game masters run two or three games where it's that situation, just so you educate your players, get rid of your assumptions going in, because this is Star Trek. This is a whole different universe. I, I have to say that's one of the, uh, you know, I was playing, I've been playing online for five years and just recently got back into tabletop gaming. And I have to say that's something that tabletop gaming allows you to do that you can't do online. And that's watch people's facial expressions and also act. They're watching your facial expressions, your mannerisms they're listening to your tone of voice and they're really trying to like i love watching these new players really watch as i shift characters <laughs> and they're trying to like well maybe this person's not that bad after all you know and and then they talk amongst themselves and that's something that i i think tabletop gaming gives you that you just can't get in a virtual environment yeah well i you know i don't know i think it, it depends on the virtual environment I oh think, i mean like um, discord i should say like discord i don't mean like yeah. a uh uh I'm not talking about like clear skies or perseverance where you see everyone's yeah. face. Right. I, I mean, discord is the way I play normally. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's harder to pick up. I mean, you can, if you're really paying attention, you can pick up voice and tone and, uh, and, and like breaths and long pauses and stuff like that. It's a lot easier when you're able to, to, to see the, the person and the facial text and all that stuff. Um, certainly easier to do in person. Cause like you get the whole body language and everything else going on. Because uh, you can only see so much of the screen, right? There's only so much you can see. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I think um, and of course, you know, there's there's all kinds of ways to go about it. But um, yeah, it's so important because there's so much difference between you know a a Borg queen and a gold ducat and a quark, you know, who who came out adversarial at first. And and I love when like I can introduce on Discord because they know my villain so well. I can just introduce a line. And they all turn around. So just the line, they don't see the person. So I don't have to describe it, but they know merely by the line of sentence when the person says the first thing, they're like, oh Lord, it's that character's back. And I love that they, that they, they've all developed their own vernacular and way of saying things, which create, which is when you know you've really developed a strong personality to the adversary. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, it's again, you know, it's been a while, I think, Jim, since we actually were able to break down something like this, kind of the acting role and the and the character development role. Um, I do look forward to wanting to do more episodes in the future about helping people build modules and how to write these stories and write the acts, because I know you have that open invitation to people to submit stuff. And um, if we can maybe give people advice, not only how to write great adversaries, but really just how to structure a story to make it more palatable um um you know as a submission i think that would be a good way for us to go yeah and uh, uh happy to do that absolutely um i think um just to give a teaser right i mean there oh you know I, i'm conflicted a little bit because like on the one hand it's a role-playing game and i don't want people to feel like they have to do a lot of homework to get into it right mm-hmm. but, but you if you're an aspiring writer for me or if you just want to be an aspiring game master or even a player like like as a, as a writer like the the thing that i was always taught is if you want to write science fiction you want to write fantasy you want to write mystery you want to write thriller, I mean, whatever genre you want to write do your research right go out there read the classics in your genre watch the tv shows that are classics in your genre etc cetera, etc cetera. so like if you want to write star trek whether you're a game master or a player or you want to write for the game or whatever um like do your research <laughs> and like it's so easy to do your research now because there's a thousand hours of star trek mm-hmm. go pick one that you like if you don't like picard that's fine if you don't like lower decks that's fine there's like 11 series now and 13 movies there's gonna be something you'll probably like 
like they're there and go you know hit google because there is no shortage of uh you know best of episode lists out there and yeah. even, even gradiate them to like what's the best you know what's the best um you know comedy star trek episodes what's the best drama episode i mean there's there's tons of lists out there right so um you watch a few episodes of star trek go to your library um or or you know go online because like i'm sure there's no shortage of websites that will teach you about uh like basic story structure story theory um uh writing screenplays writing you know hitting the beats all that i mean all that stuff right that's stuff that i've been learning for 30 years and it's all in my head that's what you know came out with the mission briefs and everything else Mm -hmm. um so you know you don't have to you don't have to (laughs) <laughs> you don't have to learn all this stuff necessarily but like you know just do a little bit of research i think this is the same argument i have for uh, people who uh are curious about the game um but but don't know anything about star trek it's like well you know watch a few episodes i mean they're not hard to find i mean on streaming services and um you know uh old discs or whatever they're there's they're relatively easy to find you can watch plenty of clips on on youtube right or whatever um streaming service you want to Watch. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to bet you probably have a friend who has a collection of Star Trek discs or uh, cassettes or whatever. So uh, yeah, I mean, just hey, to, if you're a reader, you I can do comics it. and novels too. Exactly. They'll also give you the yeah. same. There's there's lots of ways. There's even audio books. I my mom never a big Trekkie. You know, she's in the other room while my dad and me are watching it. But we did a drive to San Diego, and I got um, one of the audio books and just started playing it because we're gonna be driving in the car, and our drive, our trip ended before the last chapter. And she's like, so what happened? I'm like, okay, mom, you're just going to have to listen to it. So we, <laughs> I had to go to her and actually play her the last chapter because she was intrigued with uh, what And I said, that was awesome that for her, the audio book got her into a Star Trek story, which I thought was cool. No, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Just drive a little bit longer. Exactly. Do, do an extra loop around the cul-de-sac or something. <laughs> yeah, we should, we should have gone into Tijuana and back. And then, so yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. All right. So again, this episode, you know, we change it into making your adversaries come alive. Again, I just thought it was important because in the end, even though we know the story is about your stalwart crew, the captain and whatever ship you're on, it's really going to be those adversaries, those first contacts or the recurring bad guy who is going to that's what your player is going to talk about is how they overcome that person as a challenge. And so just some tidbits, of course, we could talk more about it, but thought we would give that to you all today. Any final words about it, Jim, before we head over to gratitude? Uh, I was just going to ask you a question. Did, did, sure. we, did we cover the topic in enough detail that you wanted to, or do you want to go a little deeper? Or, uh, um, sounds like, like we hit it, but I mean, we could, we could talk about like uh, giving them character ticks or props or, uh, unique sound effects or oh something. let's do that no yeah let's yeah let's cap it off let's make sure this is as complete as possible what do you how would you start on it? i have some ideas but what would you start with the character ticks and props and things like that i mean i just i, I was thinking like uh you know if you want to make the character memorable you know especially in a, in a gaming you know giving gaming you know standpoint where as a game master you are you're responsible for the voices and the mannerisms and the and the ticks right like like give your mm-hmm. Give your give your villain uh, or your adversary a, a unique uh, uh, speech pattern and or uh, a, a specific um, you know fr- way they phrase things or uh, even an accent right if you're if you're comfortable with accents mm-hmm. like don't do a hokey accent because your players are gonna get sick of it after about thirty seconds <laughs> right if you can sustain it and it's interesting then uh, you know go for it but uh, you know yeah like our I mean just to give some examples of real ones like I told you about that Romulan um, commander. 
he collected baubles. He was into trinkets of power, whether it be mythological or whether it not. And, and you didn't oftentimes get to be in, on his ship or in his office, but his crew would talk about how he's always going around collecting things, trying to increase his power. So that was kind of the thing is the collector. And then uh, Salomon Madrick, the hologram, she's always very condescending. She talks to people as if they're her servants and she's royalty. Um, and, and that's the way she interacts with people, which drives the Starfleeters crazy because she's an elitist. Uh, and I, and to add that, I have in the hologram, she has the Bajoran servants. So that's just a mainstay of her program. Um, things like that uh, make them very recognizable. Or, you know, I think about the Grand Nagus with his scepter. You know, not that he's much, he's not always an adversary, but but again, you know, Gorkhan, you know, or, you know, they all have some sort of some sort of trinket or some sort of thing that they say, which is common. Yep. Yeah. You even have their you could have their their spaceship have a distinctive sound to the engines. Right. The, mm. you, whenever you hear that particular whine, you know who's coming. Um, maybe like Q, they have like every time they appear, they get that distinctive little snap and, uh, and visual uh. effect. Right. They, it's so like even if it's subtle, like you see it, you're like, oh crap, here it comes. And then uh and then it could even be a perfume, like, a perfume or something right, they hum. Smell. Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. And I think that is, I mean, that really rounds out a character when you start doing stuff like that. I think about Luxana Troy, right? She's gaudy and she has her servant carrying her incredibly heavy bag. It's little things like that that make make a character fun and singular. Yeah, the, the 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 main adversaries minions, right? Those are always mm -hmm. interesting. Like when when suddenly they show up, well, you know who's around the corner. And if they're not, then you know something's really up. I think there's that one episode of DS9, right, where the you saw the Grand Negus staff, but mm -hmm. the Grand Negus wasn't in the episode. He was actually missing, and they had to go rescue him. But they had the staff, and you're like, oh boy, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a Ferengi episode. Here we go. You know, buckle buckle up because it's gonna be fun. Um, so yeah, it's just the, you know, it's not just the adversary; it's the trappings around. It's the people around them. It's the props. It's the it's the whole ambiance. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, yeah. And rarely do they ever operate alone. There's usually some sort of organizational structure that they're part of. I mean, even if it's a section 31 villain or Fenris Rangers, or I think about, um, uh, man, the captain Rio, oh yeah, Rios, captain uh, Rios, when he was off the grid and kind of working the underworld, build them a network because when you have a lot of threat if you've we had our episode on threat last week sometimes they need an escape route sometimes you really don't want them to be captured and that's where your threat and the reversal can just make the escape so that they're out there and you're going to get them again it could be even you put them in a penal colony but you can use that reversal to have some escape you know and and the players have to be like darn it there was a lot of threat that was the narrative uh, trigger that the game master used in order to make this person out there again. So um, give them a network so it makes narrative sense if they if they man manage to wriggle away. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's good to do. Good stuff. All right. Fantastic. OK, good. So we want to hear about your games. Of course, you're always willing to send us your best villains as, as you've designed them. You can always post the sheets up at continuing missions if you want to. We love fan submissions. It gives other people ideas. Um, and I know we have so many different sheets up there that people borrow from um, and mix and match in order to create their characters, first contact and adversaries. All right. Gratitude time. Um, I'm going to do, of course, for the brick and mortars who, who not only 
only, you know, sell games, but also comic books, which really are some of the best villains and adversaries we have in American literature. Um, and I'm going to give a shout out to Lawanika Miller. I was able to go on the show uh, with, with them. Tabletop Journeys, a fantastic podcaster, uh, just recently got into playing Star Trek Adventures and is addicted to it. So I'm happy to hear about that. And he goes to Citadel Game Seller. That is his brick and mortar. So shout out to them. And what about you, Jim? Awesome. Uh, I will. Uh, I want to thank uh, all the writers of uh, of Star Trek, and I mean just of, of literature in general, whether it's television or film or or books or comic books or any, any form of writing, uh, who've created wonderful adversaries for us to uh, love and hate and love to hate over the many many uh, centuries. Here has <laughs> been a long time, I mean, even before Shakespeare, but uh, Bible, pre Bible, all that stuff. Uh, so thanks to all the writers. Uh, we're speaking specifically of Star Trek. So thanks to all the writers of Star Trek who who created such memorable villains and adversaries. And then thank yous to all the actors who brought those those words to life in such so many memorable ways. We I mean the, the, there's countless numbers of actors and, and villain characters that we can celebrate and uh, appreciate. Uh, so thanks to all of them. And uh, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, thank the fans of this, of this here game. So uh, again, thank you so much for being with us for seven years. Uh, without you, we wouldn't be we wouldn't still be doing this game. So thank you for your support. Thank you for your support of each other and of new players coming into the game all the time. I uh, I'm, I'm always always uh, uh, I guess uh, my friends in UK would say chuffed. <laughs> I'm always chuffed to see the play the the experienced players uh, answering answering the same questions over and over again very patiently as new players come on board and ask about what's what's what and what to get and how to how to play the game and all that stuff. So thank you to the fan base because uh, you are truly indispensable and uh, i am grateful for you every day fantastic all right until next time idic which i guess could be infinite diabolics infinite cretins for the sake of this episode how long did it take you to think about that just now <laughs> <laughs> uh, a little long and prosper everybody be safe be well we'll talk to you next time <laughs>